full contact cannabis. Howdy folks, this is Harold Jarbo, AKA the Old Hemp Farmer, and I'm hanging out with the Full Contact Gang, which is Abby McCullough and Mark Stepp. Say hi folks. What's up? Hello everyone. All right, now we have not been with you guys in a couple months, and believe it or not, some things have happened in the past couple months. You may not have heard it, but that's why we're here. There was an election. Uh, there was a ongoing thing with a pandemic and a few other things. So I think we'll start and we'll, we'll backtrack here because we're going to try to end up with D8 eventually. But uh, let's talk about the elections, which is quite interesting. And I'm not talking about the presidential election. I'm talking the fact that Montana, South Dakota, Arizona, New Jersey passed recreational and in the heart of Dixie, Mississippi, passed a really pretty well wide open medical marijuana law. What do you think, guys? Do you think this is going to one of those sea change momentum or is it still going to limp along a couple states at a time? It's definitely a catalyst to have Tennessee surrounded by so many um, medical marijuana states. It's only a matter of time until they figure out how to tax the plant and get as much juice as they can. It's just frustrating the amount of time it's taking them to do that. Well, I wasn't thinking so much of Tennessee. I was just thinking about nationally, about the whole thing. Gotcha. You know? I mean, Joe Biden's already come out saying like he's for it. So I don't, and it's only a matter of time in his administration, like within the first year that he's there, that I think it'll be passed personally. Mark, this morning we were doing our little pre-interview and we were talking about some things and you're now situated up working out of Massachusetts right now. Massachusetts is a recreational state. Yeah. One of the things I found that you were interesting is that the, even though there's recreational marijuana, your vibe on the culture of, of cannabis up there, you felt was different than it is in California. Interestingly enough, and I'll backtrack a second and talk about the states that passed rec. I thought the interesting thing to me, states were Arizona passed, which I was kind of surprised at being that it was a, uh, quote, battleground state on everything else that was going on. I think that's interesting. I do think that that's a reflective of Arizona watching the success of uh, California and Nevada, both as, as you stated earlier, a revenue stream. So I think, I think it's purely economically related for them. And then, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, but isn't Mississippi the state where the federal government has had their research farm for 20-odd years? In Oxford, you are correct, sir. So that was very surprising to me that they are just now coming to the table However, that's probably been completely politically motivated by both the state and the feds to hold off on doing anything in Mississippi. So as far as what I have seen here in Mass, after we talked this morning, I did do a little research and I, I, I was surprised that there are more dispensaries opened up near where I am in the New Bedford area than I thought there were. And just a little quick recon on their websites, they all are, to me, definitely image-based. Their shops are extremely well presented, a la looking like an Apple store or a la very um, classic New England. But what I saw product-wise 
wasn't necessarily super impressive in the photos. Doesn't mean it's not, but just what I saw photo-wise. Now, everybody up here is obviously doing indoor grows and they've only been growing for a little over a year now. They're probably all getting their, you know, specifics and technology and, you know, quote recipes together. But um, I am going to, uh, once the snow settles, I think I might venture out and uh, take a look at some of them just to see exactly what they're offering on the inside. But they were all very minimal on their displays, very clean lines, very like it would feel if you went into an Apple store. But not a lot of people run around in blue shirts. The reason I brought that up is, is because we have a couple states that got passed that didn't have medical marijuana. They have no real history of marijuana. And I'm talking about South Dakota and Mississippi. The thing about it is you can pass a law, but if the culture is not supportive or doesn't really know about it that much, because what I'm going to be curious about is in South Dakota. and Well, South Dakota, both and Mississippi, because the state governments did not want this to pass, yet it passed. So in, in that sort of an environment, how quickly can things can get implemented? Second, is the culture going to su support it? I mean, I know there's a small group of people real excited about it, but when it actually comes to being going in communities, because I would bet that community standards to a large degree are still going to control whether you get to have a store in your municipality or in your county. Yeah, and I know that was a big challenge here in Mass. When they first legalized REC, stores were having a hard time getting permits in certain areas because the local community or culture did not want them in. Seems like that softened up a little bit. Do you think in South Dakota that it will help indigenous people? I think the devil will be in the detail and will have no idea about, you know, because this is the thing about it is, Let's, we can use Oklahoma as, as an example. Oklahoma, pretty well, if you don't have a major felony or this or that and the other, and you want to go through the time and the paperwork, you can get your dispensary or you can grow. But it was because the state government said, okay, guys, you want this? We're going to, you know, you know they're laissez-faire on business anyway. So that, to them, it wasn't any difference in the oil business or anything else. As long as you guys don't mess up too bad, we're going to let you do what you want. In South Dakota, the governor, after it got passed, came out flat out said, I, you know, she was going to try to find a way to, to lull or avoid the, the election. I have no idea. I mean, is it, you know, how, and if it does happen, long-winded answer, is it going to be prohibited by how much it's going to cost you to get in the game? I mean, we'll talk about Georgia, and it's just processing for CBD down there. It, you know, twenty five fifty thousand dollars to get your license and get it to where you can do it. Yeah, indigenous people might be able to apply for it, but are indigenous people gonna be able to get the financing to be able to do it? Or will it be a co-op between a corporate entity, you know, working through indigenous peoples to use their reservation land as gross? Yes, it'll be, you know, that's interesting. The thing about, you know, like with Mississippi, uh, Tennessee homegrown, got approached by a group as soon as the law was passed in Mississippi about, you know, going down in there and, and bringing technology and our protocols and stuff like that. But, and they're real excited, 
but me and you have been through a couple rollouts on companies, cannabis companies before. Right. It, it never quite rolls out like you think it's going to. And that's what I'm saying is you looked at these other, like Arizona is not going to have a problem rolling out the recreational system or pr- program. I agree. That I think the states that have, have voted in Arizona will be the smoothest. Because yeah, because a lot of it, a geography is a lot of it. And how long has Arizona had a med? Well, they were early on. That's what I'm saying is. So, you know, they're going to, they can latch on. They can always go and for the licenses, everything. They can find the good actors in med, you know, and they can be up and going. Yeah. I mean, I, if, think, I think honestly for me, outside looking in, Arizona will be a hotbed for CBD. Hotbed. Well, it's already more progressive than states like South Dakota and more populated. Well, and also there's a, a lot of people who retire, retire there. And exactly. Everybody's looking to CBD or alternate forms of pain management. That state is very open and welcoming to that. All right, guys, what are we guessing on New Jersey? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the one right there. If you want to talk about that's that's the plum. If you can get up and have recreational stores across the river from New York City, you're going to bomb it. I would kind of fall back to where what Abby mentioned earlier, the, the taxing, uh, how the governments are going to see revenue stream up there. I think they'll be very hands-on on that, more so than any other state that's voted legalization this time. We got one Arizona where we think is going to probably get implemented pretty painlessly. South Dakota looks like there's going to be as much as anything, um, a cultural awakening up there, especially within the state government. Mississippi don't have a clue because I out of all the, the elections, the one that just went, huh, was Mississippi. Not only there was two different little uh, laws that were up, they took the one that was the most wide open, flower, all that. But the surprising thing was the percentage on which they, they won. And, and like I said, not try to get too political, medical marijuana got, yes, got more votes than Trump did, I think. Maybe Mississippi, the players have just been kind of watching the Tennessees and the Georgias and the other watching the southern states regionally just to see you know what the track record is and and looking at all aspects of it as a business and obviously as a revenue stream because that's the only reason any government would ever be interested in it and maybe they were just saying okay now we're ready to go to the table and see what we can do i mean they had to be looking at what happened in ohio and go wait a minute well, the thing about it is the state government down there did try to put together uh, they, what they wanted. The, the legislatures put out their, I don't know, amendment or whatever. Yeah, and, and that, was, that, was, that was two years ago when they started that, right? Wasn't it? Well, I mean, it, yeah, it takes a couple of years to get this going. The thing about it was is that the, I guess maybe the state started doing interning, internal polling and started realizing whatever cannabis thing went up there was probably going to get passed. Right. So that's why the state government tried to put up their version. Yep. Yeah. But uh, it, that's what amazed me is they just that that, that version just got smoked. Pardon yep. the pun. Um, 
and uh, the one that was the most wide open, and it's very similar to Oklahoma, which I don't know if a lot of people know this, is the most, oh God, I don't want to say wide open, lenient medical marijuana program in the country. Right. I mean, we're talking, if you, you, got, you got a medical card from another state, pff, yeah. they'll take it. Yeah. You want to you wanna get a medical card while you're there? You can get one. Bring it. Yeah. yeah. And I think if my last time I checked, I think there's over 2,000 people or entities licensed in Oklahoma to grow cameras. Wow. In a state that has about 3 million people. So <laughs> they're there now. But in Oklahoma, you have a bunch of people. Do you, do, you think, do you think Oklahoma was open to, to looking at alternative crops to get farmers back in business? I just think that they were looking for a revenue stream and this came down the pike and it was another one of these things that got passed. And once it got passed, it was just like, Oh, really? There's that many people like weed, you know, <laughs> and, you know, it's just like, and we can make how much. And you have to realize at that point, you know, oil, you know, in the last couple of years, the price of oil has just tanked. Right. So it's although it, it, it started creeping up this past two weeks, just a little, but that's because of weather. Winter time, it always goes up a bit. Have you got anything more to say about the elections and and that before we move on? Mm, not really. No, I think we're just all waiting for Biden to roll on in. I I, I really don't know if too much is going to change. I still think states are going to probably control what happens in their states. And like we were talking about earlier, municipalities will still have a great degree about what gets done in their cities. I wonder too if if once the you know the the hot topic right now has obviously been the election fraud versus an electoral vote, and now that's kind of over, uh, thank God. But I wonder if the other things, including states that passed rec, will start getting more attention that it happened because it was basically ignored for the last month while all this other was going on. And you just wonder how it will become more of a topic. And, and Abby, like you say, if Biden and his cabinet will be more aware and involved and, and have some public statements about it. I can tell you from you know having a company for the last few years, whether it's REC, MED, or CBD, the companies only want two things. One, we want banking finally cleared up. We want to be able to transport funds across state lines and not have to worry about big red flags or anything like that. And and that's really a you know a, a big deal. It is. Oh yeah. I mean that that's one of the things that really has. And then the other well, thing, I think, I think that going back to when you were talking about you and know, I've experienced businesses that have been different. That was always a big factor. Well, I mean it, it was. I mean early days, yep. and it's still it's amazing. We've had the first uh, rec state that went was 2012. We're t almost 2021, and that's still a problem. And then the other thing that the cannabis industry, especially high THC ones, we want the tax law addressed. Yeah. 280E is a anchor around business. If you can't deduct for your advertising, your marketing, your building, that sort of things, you're, you're hobbled. Cannabis companies are having to market themselves. Yep. Well, you know this, you're in media and you do advertising commercials and things like that. You can drop more money 
in marketing than you do in actually your production of your product. Yeah. So, and, and then if you can't deduct that expense, it, it, it makes it almost impossible to do any form of really sophisticated marketing. Right. The wish list from the cannabis industry, I think those two things would probably be the top of the list. I would I would see that I think the banking thing will continue to get cleared up. Uh, cool. I, that's just an opinion, but it, it feels like they're going to have to be more business oriented as far as government looking in saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, economic, the economy screwed right now. So let's see how we can help everybody out, not just a few people. You know, I mean, you know, that's the, the whole thing about it is we have... <laughs> you know, a legal or semi-legal, however you want to put it, billions of dollars of revenue that exchange hands. I mean, there are whole industries now that are supported by growing some form of cannabis. Correct. And so, you know, I mean, it's just, it's thing. What I'd like to creep into a little bit is, Spence, we're talking about the industry we now have a new player in the cannabis industry, which has muddled the whole high CBD THC thing totally. Because now we have a new cannabinoid. And I don't know how much you guys out there who listen to these things know about D8 or Delta 8 THC, but it is a new consumer-driven phenomenon. Abby was the first one who brought it to Tennessee Homegrown. And Abby, where did you first start seeing D8 and when? I first saw D8 in a smoke shop in Nashville. It's called Smoke Token, but it's kind of, it's in an obscure part of town, but the amount of business it gets is just unreal. And I saw this little sign, like it was not, it wasn't big at all, but it was in their um, CBD section and it said Delta 8 carts. And I was like, what's Delta 8? Dude looked at me like I was asking like, you know, to go in the back, you know, room or something like that. And uh, he was like, you don't know what, what Delta-8 is? And I was like, no. And he's like, Delta-8 is another uh, cannabinoid. It's THC. And I was like, no way. And so immediately I started Googling and um, was like, I want a cart. And uh, bought one, got me high. It was a great high. It's very, It's not one of those that you feel like you're stuck in your head with and just looking around everybody and like don't want to talk like one of those kind of bad heady highs it was really it was a great relaxer so um i was like all right gotta find out more about this if people are able to sell this then we can sell this finding it tracking down a source was another monster in and of itself which i'm sure you you are better at diving into jarba than than i will be because you were kind of the headhunter with that. Well, but the, the, the interesting thing about the story is, though, how, how it came about. It wasn't advertised. It wasn't, I mean, let's face it, nothing against vape stores or some of the smoke shops, but they are, what do you want to, I don't want to say seedy because that's just not fair, but they, they're more counterculture. How about that? And they're more willing to have synthetic marijuanas and all sorts of things like that. So you could see where they might want to step out on a limb. So Abby comes to us and says, D8, there's a bunch of people and they're selling the heck out of it. Of course, 
at Tennessee Homegrown, we only knew of D8 as a minor cannabinoid, you know, because like I said, we love looking at lab analysis, COAs. And there'd always be this little line there, but it would always be like 0.1% or real, real low D8. So we started investigating it and it so happens one of the champions of cannabis, Dr. Raphael Meshalem in Israel, started was investigating cannabinoids and taking starting with CBD and CBG and trying to synthesize cannabinoids out of them. Well, he came up with a process to be able to take CBD and turn it into Delta 8 and Delta 9 and CBN and a host of, whole host of other things. The way that the laws are written in the United States, especially in a lot of states, it's very specific. It says that the law is Delta 9 THC. It doesn't say anything about THCA or THCV or any of the other things. So here was this, I guess, loophole that was really big. The other part that was part of the equation that kind of seems to have, oh, what do you want to say, that synchronicity, that convergence, you know, kismet or whatever. A thousand points of light. A thousand points <laughs> of light is the fact that you, it would be if you had to, you had to start from CBD to be able to make this. So the only way to, to where this really became really economically feasible to do, because you do have to go in and it is a chemical process, was if you got cheap CBD. So here we are, 2019, and I'd love to been where the person, whether they were drunk, stoned, or whatever, and said, you know what, we got like 2,000 kilos of isolate. Wonder if we could turn it into something. And there's st people started looking into it because Abby came to us. We went and found the original paper that Dr. Raphael had published. And so we started playing with it, came up with our protocol. And by golly, you can take CBD and turn it into T, you know, Delta 8 THC. Is it a complicated process? Complicated, no, but you got to have your, because basically what you're doing is you're adding an acid and heat to CBD. And then depending on the pH and the heat, you know, how much time you have to expose it. And then you're going to have to, to couple distill it a couple times to basically get out your D8. Because when you do this, you're also going to get small amounts of um, D9 and some CBN and a few other things. Also, some other things that we're, we found, there's a Delta 10 and there's a Delta 12, which we won't go into right now. But the whole point was, here we had in America, huge amounts of CBD sitting there, cheaper than what you could produce it for. And that's what, you know, that, like I said, that, that whatever it is, all of a sudden you had CBD, cheap as it could be. And there was a process to turn it into a compound. The other thing, though, I don't think anybody saw. I didn't see it. Most of the guys I know that were into high Delta 9, high THC, didn't, didn't believe it, was it was consumer-driven. And that was the thing I think surprised everybody was, I think it was the cannabinoid for its time. Because here, what it is, you had... A lot of people who were looking for something stronger than CBD to take the edge off in what are very trying times. I mean, right now, if you're not stressed out, you're one of the few people who aren't. And CBD, however, it will kind of chill you. It will not cut the day off or will not, you know, that, you know, 
take bad day and kind of put it in the background. Delta eight does that. Also the thing about Delta eight, but here is the thing that why it fits into a lot of people and their lifestyle. It does not make you anxious. It does not kill too much your short-term memory. So here you are, relax. you've been more relaxed in weeks than, than ever, but you're not going to get paranoid or it doesn't get on top of you. And then the, th the last thing that D8 does, that why I think it's endeared itself to a, a large amount of people is, have we all eaten uh, Delta 9 edibles here? Yeah. All right. I'm sure I'm not the only one that I can take the same amount of Delta 9 THC edible and have a really good time and then take the same amount at a different time and it really wasn't that enjoyable. That's the difference between a red gummy and a green gummy. <laughs> it's a red dye number two that gets you every time. Um, and and I, I think, Abby, you were the first one to realize that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've had the same experience. Yeah, I agree. You know, so, he, so the Delta eight came in as an edible that where if you do accidentally indulge and overdo it, you're not sitting on the couch having to tell yourself that you're not going to die. I've also uh, related, but I've never been a person who's uh, gotten the munchies, but I have, a couple of times when I haven't had the best experience with an edible, I've realized that, oh, wow, and I have the munchies, which is, you know, kind of been a new thing for me. So what did you, step? what did you think of the DA? I've, I've only used it to uh, help me sleep. So I've never uh, taken it and, you know, in the middle of the day to stay awake and, you know, have an experience. But I will say that, um, it definitely has helped my sleep habits more than just taking CBD before I go to sleep. And I'll qualify that by I, I have sleep problems, uh, uh, both intermittent insomnia, I do have sleep apnea. So for me, the real reason I ever started ingesting CBD was for the purposes of trying to sleep better. And they both do well, uh, the D8 has noticeably kept me asleep longer, but I will do some CBD and some D8 is kind of my normal uh, nightly dose now. Well, the reason I'm bringing up D8 as far as this, because we were talking about rec and med, most states have legal CBD. So here you have a product that is kind of really does blur the line between that hemp CBD world and that THC world. Because, all right, yeah, it's a THC, but you make it out of hemp. And so it's, it's very interesting because the simple fact that, okay, in, we'll use Tennessee because I'm headquartered in Tennessee. Here, we do not have medical marijuana. We don't have recreational marijuana, but we have one of the most lenient CBD hip laws. And presently, there is no law against Delta-8. We, since we have legal Delta-8 THC in Tennessee, what does that make Tennessee? Well, my question, too, on that would be, is the government going to close the gap? Well, we've kind of reached out and back on back channels to the TBI, which is Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. They're very aware of D8, but they're also very aware 
that there's no law against it. So there's nothing they can do about it. And so, and this is the thing, in a state where there now is immense pressure for the state of Tennessee to have some form of high THC medical marijuana. So who's gonna be the person to champion going up in front of the legislature and say, I wanna make this drug, this, this THC illegal. Sounds and, like the perfect opportunity for the old hemp farmer. Now, well, this is the thing about it is, meanwhile, we're in a state that has no state income tax and all our, the revenue that most of the state gets is through sales tax. Well, since D8 is selling like proverbial hotcakes in Tennessee, right now it's generating income and not a little. There's probably, you were gonna guesstimate here, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a week probably right now in the state of Tennessee that's being buying D8 products. Because right now, there are a bunch of companies, especially the ones CBD companies and vape stores, that the thing that's helped keeping their door open is the fact that they're getting foot traffic because of D8 right now. And how's Tennessee Homegrown doing with it as far as like sales and growth on that part of your company? Of course, we never, there's, you know, there's no way to check what our D8 sales were a year ago because a year ago we weren't selling it. Uh, but the trend line has been steadily up. And the thing that has been that has sold the most is our D8 chocolate, because this is where that seems like that sweet spot is with D8 is and, and why it seems to be superior to Delta 9 THC is that once again, you can take this edible and you don't have to worry about later on. Oh, did I do too much? Gotcha. So our trend line on D8 has been steadily larger and larger and larger. The tinctures are coming along a little bit. The vape carts, it's really weird. We're, we get the products into a store. The first thing that seems like people are, I don't know, a little braver or want to venture into will be a chocolate bar. And then after they do the chocolate bar, know that the D8 basically works for their lifestyle or you know their psyche or whatever, then they seem to, you know, to kind of then start doing a tincture and vape carts. Hey, uh, Abby, have you, have you tried ingesting it any other way than carts? And what's that differences? I've done our edibles, our edible chocolate. I've tried multiple other companies' gummies. Um, I've done vape carts. And then I really like our D8 tincture. It goes just like CBD under your tongue. and I personally like that. That's kind of my new favorite. I mean, the chocolate will always be my favorite, partly because it's chocolate. Um, <laughs> but the fact I can literally just take it like CBD, it doesn't taste bad. You know, I've, I've tried multiple other tinctures that companies have come out with that are just in other smoke shops just to, to experiment and see what the competition is doing. And it's extremely different, the amount of, like just the quality in general. And I've spoken to many store owners and they're like yeah you know you really can tell um, the difference in what different processes are using so whether they're using isolate or cbd distillate like it comes out in the tincture and in the high so long-winded answer i really like our oil tincture that's my only experience so far has been the tennessee homegrown tincture so i was just curious one of the things though you were you were mentioning about uh, pushback on D8 
one of the things that I am going to be kind of curious is like at Tennessee homegrown, not to keep, well, yeah, we'll promote it. What the heck? We're really cognizant of the dosage. Uh, we've noticed that people are having like 50 milligram D8 gummies. And it seems like the same thing that might happen here in D8, which happened in Colorado. Colorado had where people were getting these edibles and then, you know, and they were four or 500 milligrams in, in, a, in a bar. And people were eating the whole damn bar and, and just getting wiped out. Uh, so that is one of the things. Now, when you do 50 milligram, I, I actually know somebody took one of our bars and ate the whole damn bar. Holy sh! Wait, that's not supposed to happen. No, no, you're not <laughs> supposed to eat the whole bar. And of course, you know it. it you know, it, not even on Halloween. Jeez. Well, I mean, he ended <laughs> up spending all afternoon watching the Weather Channel. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was a lost day. And that's the. If there's anything, I think that there might have to be a little bit more self self discipline on our dosage sizes and things like that and try to keep it to where the consumer can, it makes it a little bit safer environment for the consumer. And then there's, you know, of course, the other bugaboo, which is of course with anything, you don't want real high dosage cannabis edibles in anywhere where kids can get hold of. A 12 year old that weighs 75 pounds has no business eating 100 milligrams of DA. You know? The person that ate the bar, was it? No, it was a, it was a 43 year old man. <laughs> that had been warned profusely not to do that, <laughs> but did it anyway. It was like a challenge. I don't know. John, don't eat the whole bar. It don't was eat. John? It was John, yeah. <laughs> of course it was John. <laughs> John. So, yeah, I said, don't go over three. Well, homeboy went, went the full, full Monty and went for the whole damn bar, which he said, just like you, is quite tasty. And maybe that was part of it. That first square tasted good. That fourth one tasted that much better. You know, um, but that's one of the things it is that's going to be. And right now, D8 is a wild, wild west cannabinoid. Because there seems to be, the FDA still doesn't want to touch it. It doesn't want to touch CBD. So they sure as heck aren't going to touch D8. And that's where we are. But it is going to be interesting. One of the things it posed to me, though, is the concept of does a cannabis consumer actually have choices? And my whole premise is we have people in recreational states that are now ordering D8 from Tennessee to go to rec states because they can't get D8 in rec states. So what I'm kind of wondering is, as we try to anticipate where all this goes, has the consumer, do we really know what the consumer wants? I mean, if you go into a rec store in, uh, let's say Colorado, there's a pretty good chance you're gonna have choices, all your D9 flower tincture edibles. And you might have a couple CBD THC products and maybe one full on CBD product and there will be no D8. There's not gonna be any THCV, there's not gonna, probably be any CBN or any of these other things. And the reason I mention this is, do we really know what the American cannabis consumer really wants? I mean, if three years from now, if we can walk into a store and you can get combinations of different THCs, different cannabinoids, CBDs, in that environment, what are people really going to want? 
I think it's going to depend on how quickly federally it gets legalized, because if it doesn't get legalized for another, you know, let's say two years, right? So that means that in states where it's, there's no medical, no recreational like Tennessee now, D8 is going to have time to become, the demand is going to get higher, right? And so say in two years that that does play out and it's finally legalized, you're going to have people going to Colorado and asking for D8 and vice versa. I think it's going to be like a, a, when you go and get vitamins, you know, you have biotin, you have melatonin, you have XYZ. I think there's going to be options for Delta 8 and Delta 9 personally. And the, one of the reasons why I mention this is, you know, Tennessee Homegrown was thoroughly entrenched in CBD, and we were quite happy to be there. I mean, it was, you know, our little niche. When the D8 kind of got thrust upon us, the one of the things that we, the reason why I brought up this about what the consumer wanted is that here we had the people who were doing CBD because they couldn't really handle Delta 9 THC, but CBD wasn't what they were really looking for. And then you had this Delta 8 come by, it was like, almost like the mama bear. It's not too hot, not too cold. And so we have, what we believe, we've lost CBD customers that have migrated towards D8. And I think this, any place where there is D8, you're gonna see that migration. So how much, just like, you know, right now, I hear these people saying, you know, by the year 2025, it'll be like a CBD, it'll be like a $10 billion industry. Really? If people have a choice, is, is CBD gonna be their go-to cannabinoid? Yeah, that, that's why there's, you know, Volkswagen, Audi, and Porsche. Thank you, yeah. What I was going to say, I was thinking about winding this up and maybe coming back next week and talking about another thing that seems to have taken hold of the cannabis business, you know, to do a pre-sell on the next day, marketing and media. Because right now, because of the way things are in cannabis, uh, cannabis has discovered commercials uh, and internet marketing. So I think that's a whole different podcast. Before we leave out of here, since we are creeping into 2021, I was going to put you guys on the spot. And uh, what do you think might might happen in 2021 in cannabis? I'll go with you, Abby. Mm, I wonder if there'll be a cannabis vaccine. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like Pfizer comes out with CBD... Uh, derived vaccine to kill coronavirus. I think that would just, that would really make make my year. That would change the industry, trust me. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you think about that question and I'm going to get back to you because we've given Step now a little time to think about this since I threw this on you guys. Step, uh, where do you see this going? I, I, I would say, honestly, I don't really see much change for 2021 only because there's still a lot of unknowns, mostly pandemic wise. And I believe realistically, we have a lot of unknowns government wise. I feel anything that's going to get traction as far as change goes is dependent on those two big ticket items. Maybe by the fall, we would start seeing some inklings of 
new horizons, but I still think we'll be wearing masks. Okay. Abby, did you come up with anything more? I'm going to piggyback off of what Step said, because um, realistically, landscape, I don't see changing much. I don't see very much travel happening, maybe towards the end of 2021. But I mean, no country really wants filthy Americans coming in right now. That'll never change. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I definitely... To all, our, to all our Canadian listeners. <laughs> yeah. We appreciate you. We, we miss you. I don't know if you miss us, but we miss you. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think as soon, once travel opens back up and it, the, the airline industry kind of restores, I think that's kind of, they go in line with the economy itself. And until that bounces back more than it, it has, I don't think, you know, we're going to see much change. My bold prediction is that the consumer will continue to basically be the overriding factor on all of this. The one lesson I learned out of 2019 is that when it comes to cannabis, the consumer still leads the way. Yeah. And I think that will probably continue into 2021. Yeah. And I think that is also incredible tipping off or jumping in point for your marketing discussion. All right. Well, guys, I'm going to have to get out of here. The old hemp farmer has got to make a delivery, got a bunch of pre-rolls to deliver to a bunch of people. And as always, we cannot thank you enough for joining us for our little coffee talk on cannabis. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Incredible time. Thank you. Full Contact Cannabis is a Tennessee homegrown and uppercut media production. You can find Tennessee Homegrown on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Visit our website, tnhomegrown.com, for more background and information covered in our podcast. Full Contact Cannabis is created by Jarbo, the old hemp farmer. Audio recordist, Abby McCullough. Post-production services provided by Uppercut Media and can be reached at uppercutmedia.com.